Good morning, Mike. You missed a number. You know that one comes after two. That, that aside, guys, good morning, everybody. It is time for the NBA Strategy Show. As you come in, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are sponsored today by Underdog. I'm joined by Adam to break down today's one game slate. Not too much else going on, but we've got other stuff on the YouTube channel today, baseball, MMA. So watch all that stuff later on the day as well, especially if you want to get more DFS action in. Adam, how are you feeling about tonight's slate? And we've got our Celtics playing. Yeah, uh, looking forward to that. You know, hopefully the uh, the Celtics pull it out. I honestly will not care at all about this game because Adley Rushman's playing for the Orioles, and I will be <laughs> watching that. But uh, yeah, let's go Celtics. Yeah, Adley Rushman. Who? Uh, how do you feel about him not being able to be played on DraftKings tonight? A little bit of an error, you know, to not anticipate the top prospect in baseball being called up at some point, especially, you know, as the Orioles are saying, we're going to call him up very soon. So a little bit of a missed opportunity there for them. But, you know, can't see everything coming, I guess. Let's see. So I have only checked DraftKings. I've not checked FanDuel. Do you think he is or is not in the FanDuel player pool? I'm opening it up on my phone. I was thinking that uh, right before the show, actually. Um, I would guess that he is not. Let's see. We're about to find out. Is Adley Rushman in the player pool? Of course not. He is not. He is not playable anywhere today. Well, he's not on DraftKings or FanDuel. I'm not going to check every single DFS site because that would be, you know, a bad five minutes of entertainment here. But yeah, Adley Rushman, not playable, which is weird because typically we see prospects included in the player pool in case they get called up. And as you had tweeted earlier today, there's all kinds of nonsense that's available in the player. Like there's guys I've never heard of who are not rated prospects, like some guy like Queasley or something like that. Right. Who you could play a catcher at mid price, but not Adley Rushman who actually matters, but uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe oh. he won't even be in the lineup in his first day. And then, and then you can feel better about it. I, I would bet everything he's in the lineup. Um, yeah, probably. It, it's also Kyle Bradish pitching. So it's a pitcher he's familiar with. Like he's 100% catching tonight. Um, the, the bigger question is they're going to add him to the player pool and he's going to be $2,200. Yeah, probably for a really long, I mean, we saw the Wander Franco last year also. Yeah, Remember he Bob, got called up. Yeah. So Franco gets called up. He was min price. He hit a homer in his first game. And then he was just around the min price number for two weeks. And then all of a sudden they're like, all right, now he's 5,600 on DraftKings. So it was something along those lines last year with, with Franco. Do you remember the Alex Bregman month when he first got called up? Yeah, and he sucked at, right. at first. So, so he was like 2K every day, but he was just costing everybody money because he was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I, this is this was so, was so annoying too about Bregman is he hit like one home run, and I was like, all right, finally he did it. And then he was just really popular forever after that. Right. It was it was like one good game, and then everybody played Bregman, and that was it. But yeah, Bregman's probably the prospect that's cost me the most money because he was he was close to min price on DraftKings and Fanduel for a good month or so. I was like, surely he has to start hitting eventually. And he did, but it took a very long time, and I chased it for, for quite a bit until we got there. But that aside, we've got some basketball to talk about, and there's going to be some injury news tonight as well. Boston Celtics are at home against the Miami Heat. They're pretty substantial, six-and-a-half-point favorites. The big injury news in the game that I think is of uh, that actually matters is Kyle Lowry being questionable because we see all this nonsense on the Heat's injury report all the time, and almost all of it's fake. Max Struess is listed as questionable. That's not a real injury, I don't think. P.J. Tucker did leave last game with an injury, but with that said, he said he's going to play today, so I take him at his word. Gabe Vincent, he's also listed as questionable. I don't think that's a real injury. So these are all things that are going to be stuff that people might look at and see these guys listed as questionable. In terms of these injuries, do you believe any of them are actual legitimate questionable listings outside of Kyle Lowry? Uh, I mean... 
Tucker, sort of, but I'm with you. Like, since he said he expects to play, I expect him to play. Um, but that obviously was at least, you know, some sort of real injury. The Struess and whoever the other one was. Uh, Vincent. Vincent. Yeah, the, the Struess and Vincent injuries, like, I, I have no idea what these are. Yeah, so let's talk more about the Kyle Lowry injury because obviously this is one that has a lot of impact on the Miami Heat. We've seen Gabe Vincent has been one of the best value plays in the series to this point for showdown contests. But if Lowry is back, what do you expect from him and how does that impact some of the other guys that we have been playing from the Heat? I, it, it would clearly cut into to Gabe Vincent, who's been you know one of the best value options so far in this series. Um, you know, you would expect Lowry to move back into the starting lineup, play around 30 minutes, give or take, um, would be my expectation if he plays. And that's going to, you know, force Vincent back to the bench. He is still only $4,400, but, you know, I would, I'd be expecting him to play low 20s and not look like that good of a value. Whereas if Lowry is out, Vincent once again looks like a good value at that price tag. Um, so that, that's, you know, the biggest thing. And then Lowry himself at 6,200, he'd, he'd be kind of interesting because, like, he's cheaper than Max Struess. But at the same time, you know, you, you are dealing with somebody who's very clearly playing through an injury. Yeah, and I'm actually going to pull up what our ownership projections are now because I have no clue what to expect from, from Kyle Lowry. And I, I tend to think that if the Heat didn't lose home court advantage, maybe they'd be a little bit more cautious with him. If he comes back, I think it's probably more out of necessity than a guarantee that he's totally healthy, uh, especially because he's missed a lot of time now and – Kyle Lowry, do you remember when Kyle Lowry first got hurt and he said, is this going to force you to miss time? He's like, there's no chance I miss time. I'm not going to miss playoff <laughs> games. And then and then he was just immediately ruled out after that and just hasn't no, played. I, I, I didn't remember that, but I, I was going to say like, you know, we I, I've talked before about, I think the most difficult thing from like a DFS NBA projection standpoint is dealing with injured players. And somebody like Lowry does, you know, a lot of times guys come back from an injury and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to treat them like normal Um I think that's very difficult to do with Lowry because we've already seen him miss time with this injury and then come back and then be injured again. Like I, I don't, I don't think him playing means he's hundred percent. I think him playing means that he is whatever percent he needs to be to convince Eric Spolster to put him on the floor. Yeah. And you know, so even if he plays, I think there's a wide range of outcomes. I know you said around 30 minutes. I tend to think that is what it's going to be, but I wouldn't be surprised if he comes off the bench and ends up playing like mid twenties, he could start and end up playing more than that. So it's a really wide range of outcomes. We don't have updated ownership yet. Uh, here's the way that I'm going to be approaching Lowry just as of right now with no other information, how I feel like I'm going to handle this. If we just find out that Lowry is starting and there's no other kinds of info on any kind of minutes restriction, I'm going to take chances on him in tournaments if he's not popular. If the field is just like, I don't know what to make of Lowry. He's 15% owned in a showdown contest. That interests me. If Lowry is going to be like 35% owned or something like that, I'm going to be looking to undercut the field just because I think the risk is equally great to the reward. So I'm just going to do the inverse of what the field does with him. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and that's kind of what I was alluding to as well. You know, he's kind of interesting just because he's cheaper than Max Struess. He's cheaper than Tyler Hero. Um, so there, there's some appeal there. And if the field's going to shy away, like I, I don't really want to play Kyle Lowry, but it's a one game slate and then I will. Um, but if the field's going to be there, then I would gladly just, you know, go to like Tyler Hero or Struess or somewhere else. And then let's talk about a scenario where Kyle Lowry is out because that seems about as likely as him playing at this point, considering the questionable tag and no real clear concrete info on whether he's going to be in or out. If he doesn't play, 
who are the players that we've seen benefit from the heat that you would still want to be getting to in this contest? Yeah, I mean, Vincent would still look really good. You know, we don't have ownership projections yet, but I assume he's pulling a lot of ownership if Kyle Lowry doesn't play. Um, that $4,400 price tag is pretty appealing. He played 24 minutes and three quarters last game, played 33, I believe it was, in game one. There's no guarantee he gets north of 30 minutes, but I think that you're looking at at least, you know, mid-20s, and, and if he's playing well, a good chance that he gets north of 30 again. So a, a very nice price tag on him. You get an increased assist percentage for Butler with Lowry out, but I'm not as concerned about that. Like, if Lowry comes back, it's very, very clearly detrimental to Gabe Vincent because of the playing time. But with Butler, I'm not as concerned because it's just been the Jimmy Butler show. Like, he's going to have the ball in his hands regardless. Um, I, I think that, you know, yeah, maybe the assist percentage takes a slight hit if Lowry's back, but I still think Jimmy Butler is running everything. I don't think Kyle Lowry is going to be out there taking stats away from Jimmy Butler too much. So um, I'm not nearly as concerned about Lowry's status with regards to Butler as I am somebody like Gabe Vincent. And I really need to ask you about this next guy now. In general, when Kyle Lowry's been off the court this year, we've seen an increase in assist rate for Bam Adebayo. I don't know what the hell is going on with Bam Adebayo, but I think you, me, and Josh were all on the same page last late because uh, you were messaging Josh while Josh and I were doing the show and we were reading some of your messages about Bam Adebayo because we were all in this together. You, me, and Josh, we were all overweight on Bam Adebayo. And he just isn't doing anything right now on the court. It's so bizarre because it's beyond just not playing well. It's legitimately not taking shots or being involved in the offense. His usage in the last three games, 11%, 10%, and 11%. And I don't want to say it's Ben Simmons type vibes, but he just is disappearing for long stretches on offense when he's a super talented player and it shouldn't be the case. Do you have anything you could point to to explain what is going on with Bam right now? He changed bodies with PJ Tucker. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's he, he's just not involved anywhere. Like his his usage is way down. Like you said, his rebounding percentage is down and has been the entire postseason. His assist percentage is down. I mean, like the one thing that stood out from watching the game the other day was that um, Adebayo was spending a decent amount of time chasing the three-point line, and so you were getting P.J. Tucker sliding in behind him to grab rebounds. That's certainly not helping, but I also don't think that totally explains like why he's just completely non-existent. So I don't really know what to make of it because he's someone that is typically a huge part of Miami's offense. So it's not he's not someone that I'm comfortable just saying like, oh, yeah, it's the postseason, so they're not using BAM. Like That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, he was banged up coming into the postseason. Maybe that's just... Maybe he's actually hurt and somehow never on the Miami injury report while all of the healthy guys are. I don't know. But it's it's certainly concerning. Um, on the one hand, it's like I want to keep going back to him because he's 8K and he's Bam Adebayo and everybody else is, you know, expensive. Like if this were a regular season slate and you tell me Bam Adebayo is $1,400 more than Max Struess, I would think that the, the, the site completely broke their pricing. But here it's just like if you use – if you use anything remotely close to Bam Adebayo's rates in this series or even in the postseason in general, he's not a good play at 8K. But if you blend them with what he did during the regular season, it certainly pulls his projection down from where it would be if you just used the regular season stats. But it still makes him look pretty good at 8K. So I, I really just don't know what to do with him because I refuse to believe that Bam Adebayo is just a complete non-factor on Miami for the rest of the postseason. But at the same time, he has shown nothing that makes me think it, happened, it changes today or next game. I'm going to pull a sports betting angle into this because I want to hear what you think of these numbers because I've never seen props like this for Bam Adebayo before. His rebounds prop is over under seven and a half. 
his points prop is over under 13 and a half. Those are really low numbers for Bam Adebayo. Yeah. And so like, and somebody in chat said Bam has, or Butler has the ball too much. Sure. Yeah. His usage rate is higher, but in this series, Gabe Vincent, higher usage rate than Bam Adebayo. Max Struess, higher usage rate than Bam Adebayo. PJ Tucker, higher usage rate than Bam Adebayo. Caleb Martin, higher usage rate than Bam Adebayo. <laughs> I mean, this isn't just Jimmy Butler taking taking shots away from, from Bam. Yeah, and it, it's Bam taking shots away from Bam. And, you know, I hate to go to the use the eye test, watch the games. He doesn't do shit. He, he gets the ball, and he's, he's not looking to attack the basket. He's immediately looking to either do like a DHO with Jimmy Butler and give the ball back to him. He's not actively looking to take shots. And the other point that you brought up too, which I think is relevant, is there's part of me that wants to believe Bam Adebayo has to be hurt. But the Heat are listing everybody with any semblance of an injury on the injury report. So it's hard for me to believe he's actually hurt. Why would the Heat only not list the one guy on the team who's actually injured is injured? So I have to believe he's healthy. Maybe it's just a coincidence and it's just a few fluke games in a row because I mean, we've seen him have good playoff games in the past and this year for that instance. We've seen him put up, let's see, what were some of those games he had against the 76ers? He put up, I mean, a, a week and a half ago, he, had a, he scored 21 points against the Philadelphia 76ers. He also had games in that series against Philly, 23 points and nine rebounds, 24 points and 12 rebounds. The closeout game against Atlanta, he had 20 points, 11 rebounds and four assists. So the idea that he's incapable of playing in the playoffs, that's not true either. Maybe Jimmy Butler is, there's something about just less touches for Bam overall because of the amount of shots Butler's taking. But like you said, other guys are still getting their shots. It's just Bam out of bio is almost no usage right now. But now I think the bigger question we have to ask is, how is this going to change how you approach him in tournaments tonight? I mean, ownership is certainly going to be something to pay attention to. Um refreshing now but i don't believe we have it yet oh we just got it a minute ago um so right now we have bam at 46 percent total ownership seven percent captain like he's not projected to get any real sort of discount there which makes it tough i i, I had a lot of him a captain last game um i think he might have actually been my highest own captain last game it was for me also yeah um i don't hate going that route again just the the thought process being if he has a solid game at 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 eight k and forty five percent utility ownership. Like you know, sure you want to have him, but um, you're not really separating from the field. I almost think that it's like there's more money to be made by either just saying like, all right, I'm I don't think Bam is gonna show up, or by saying like I'm going to maximize the good Bam game and, and have him at seven percent own captain. So um, I don't know. I think maybe I end up going that route again today and just getting more Bam at captain than anywhere else um but i mean i don't i don't have any confidence in this like i would I, i'd prefer this to be a situation where bam's getting like 25 percent ownership and i can just say like whatever i'll roll with bam again um but here it's i think it's a pretty tough spot and i and i don't think you can just totally sleep on his overall postseason because it's not just the series either um i just pulled up the numbers for the entire postseason for bam um he has an 18 0.9% usage rate. He's averaged 0.91 DraftKings points per minute. Rebounding percentage is down to 14%. Like that's not as bad as it has been in this series in particular so far, but uh, he just has not been good at all. Oh, he is. He has not been good. And 
it's it's funny because sometimes some of the what happens in the playoffs and some of the recency bias and there's going to be a point to this when I get to the end to tie it into the slate is people will look at some of these recent playoff results and just let it be who they define these players as Bam Adebayo rightfully got first place votes to win defensive player of the year in the regular season you know who else did Jaron Jackson Jr. But we get into the first round of the playoffs, Triple J gets into some foul trouble. People are like, well, Brandon Clark is better than Jared Jackson Jr. Now everybody's like, Bam Adebayo sucks. So I understand that he's projected for fairly hefty ownership right now, but a lot of that is mathematically based. And I guarantee you, when I'm doing NBA Live before lock tonight and I say I like playing Bam Adebayo, that chat is going to go nuts and tell me how bad Bam Adebayo is. So I tend to think he's going to come in underweight to his ownership projections, and I'm fairly sure he did last time also, or last game, just because there's a human element here and a bias that's hard to bake into a mathematical projection source because people are just not going to want to play Bam Adebayo in their hand-building lineup. So I do think he's going to come in under-owned. I can't say I'm confident he's sucked this year. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend he's been anything other than bad. Uh, but I think that I think the ownership is definitely gonna have some some bias baked into it. Yeah, and here we go, Freddie P. Bam ain't doing nothing, man. We need to move on. Yeah, like if you're <laughs> attacking postseason slates by just writing off one of the best players on the team and saying like he hasn't played well, so he's not gonna play well, you're probably just not going to ever make money. Yeah. And I mean, look, already it's you know, Freddie P. Bam ain't doing nothing, man. We need to move on. You just read that GQ. Bam stinks. GQ. They did this with Harden last series too. Harden also had some good games last series and people for it, when, when there's biases and there's people who the public doesn't like, they, they'll dismiss any of his, his good games and just highlight the bad games. The second to last game of the series, do you remember how good Harden was? He had that game where he was hitting everything yeah. and people pretend that game never existed because he sucked in the next game in the second half. Yeah. And again, I mean, to reiterate the thing with Bam, a lot of times the reason normally I like postseason NBA is you get like, you'll, you'll get somebody to come out there and shoot, you know, four for 20. And then the next day they're barely owned because they quote unquote suck and can't play in the playoffs. Um, somebody like Bam, that's not the case. Like the dude is not involved in any way. That is legitimately very, very concerning to me. This isn't like a, Oh yeah, he, got unlucky, he'll bounce back uh, kind of take. But you still just shouldn't be ignoring Bam, especially when the price tag's not moving. Like, it's it's not like Bam's price is adjusting with the rest of these guys that are, are wildly overpriced for what they typically do. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we've got other Heat players to talk about here too, but we'll see what happens later on in the day. I tend to think Bam out of bio is somebody that I'm going to get overweight to the field again. because Antoine just... Murphy's on Bam, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> it's over we've, we've pulled the plug bam no no longer a good play this was the breaking point let's see who else uh he's trash offensive Harden had one good game listen these are some of the best players in the nba bam's gonna be fine i don't there's something weird going on right here maybe it's a fluke maybe there's an underlying injury at the heat have failed to report for whatever reason but you guys are right we've exhausted talking about bam out of it does kind of remind me of how you know like like hockey does with the lower body injury because they don't want to tell yeah. you like where the guy is hurt. I feel like Bam is legit hurt in Miami. He's just like, no, nah, we're not telling him. Yeah, so and the hockey the hockey injury reports are ridiculous, especially because I used to do the the news desk for for the DK Live app, and we would get hockey injuries, and it would be a guy would break his leg in three places, and the team be like, well, that's a lower body injury. Be like, yeah, that's that's all the information teams are teams are willing to give out in hockey. It's terrible injury reporting, but yeah. Maybe that could be what the BAM situation is. But let's talk about a guy from Miami that I know that the public likes, Jimmy Butler. 
And when it comes to Jimmy Butler, I don't think that anybody could say anything other than he's been really good in the series. He's been really good in the playoffs. He has played well over his head. He's not going to continue to shoot, you know, 70% from mid-range or anything like that. But he's still undeniably somebody that we're going to want to get to in some capacity in this slate. But I think the comparison point has to be Jason Tatum. And between Tatum and Butler, do you have a preference? I would say slight. Well, actually, I guess the ownership's about the same. You're getting slightly more total ownership on Tatum, but a little bit more captain ownership on Butler right now. Um, Butler did go back to being less expensive than Tatum by four hundred dollars. I, I think it's really close. I don't have a very strong lean one way or the other. Butler, of course, has been fantastic in the postseason. Um, 1.4 DraftKings points per minute, 31% usage rate, 25% assist percentage, 12% rebounding percentage, 63.5% uh, true shooting is extremely good, um, but you know should also play 40-plus minutes if this game's competitive. We saw that in game one. Last game, obviously, he only played like 33 minutes because he didn't step on the floor in the fourth, but assuming this game is somewhat competitive, uh, you should be getting you know 40-plus from, from Butler. So I think he's really comparable to Tatum. Right now, I don't think that there's any sort of real – edge in the ownership either so um I, I guess i don't have too strong of a preference it's kind of just like if i can get to tatum i'll play tatum if i can't i'll play butler yeah and for me i do have tatum projected a little bit higher i think the breaking point probably also is just being that number one the celtics are at home and then number two also the celtics just have a better defense than miami does so it's it's something that just on paper i have to project uh, tatum a little then tatum's been a better fantasy producer the entire season and by the way, I'm going to play plenty of Butler today, so I don't want to seem like I'm saying anything negative about it. I've said plenty of negative things about Jimmy Butler over the course of the season, uh, but when he's healthy, he's been really good as a fantasy asset, and he's playing out of his mind in the playoffs here. I just have a slight preference towards Jason Tatum. Uh, talking about some of the rest of the guys on the Heat roster now, somebody who I think is, uh, well, in general, chat loves Victor Oladipo. There are spots to play Victor Oladipo, most notably when players are out for the Heat. Outside of that, though, I just don't really think that there's that much upside in Victor Oladipo. I know people might look at what he did last game and say, like, oh, look, at uh, he scored, you know, 14 real-life points. Sure, but he also played almost all of garbage time. And there isn't that much playing time right now for Victor Oladipo, particularly if Kyle Lowry comes back. It seems like forever ago, but at the start of the postseason when the Heat roster was healthy— Victor Oladipo was a DNP coach's decision. He was not in the rotation. I'm not predicting for you that's going to happen today, but considering two games ago in game one of the series, when Lowry was out, he played 15 minutes. We could be looking at like 10 minutes from Victor Oladipo, a really nominal amount of playing time. So I don't really like him for today. I'm sure this is also going to be something that upsets chat. Uh, do you see Victor Oladipo differently? No. Um, the only thing I would point out is like he is getting 16% ownership. So he's one of the lower owned, you know, actual rotation guys here. But if Lowry's back, it makes it really difficult to figure out how Oladipo gets enough minutes to, you know, pay off 5,400. But even last game, like I, I, I know people are taking like they're, I think people are viewing last game as a positive for Oladipo. I view it as a huge negative. The guy played in the first half when the game was, you know, somewhat competitive, the guy played a total of seven minutes. Yes, he got to 26 because he played the final uh, 19 minutes of the game, including all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter when no starter stepped on the floor. But Victor Oladipo playing like 15 or 16 minutes in game one and then being on pace for the same thing in game two is not something that makes me interested in him at all. So I don't know. I'm, I'm actually viewing last game as a pretty big negative for Oladipo as far as 
trying to find ways to get him in the lineups. Um, I do think, you know, there is still volatility there and just getting relatively low owned guys on a one game slate certainly has some appeal, but um, I'm actually taking last game as a pretty big negative. And then one other thing to mention with the BAM thing, because I've seen Antoine Murphy keep saying that Kyle Lowry makes him better. Um, in the regular season and postseason combined, with Butler and Lowry on the floor, Bam has averaged 1.12 DraftKings points per minute. With with Butler on the floor and Lowry off the floor, he has averaged 1.11 DraftKings points per minute. He has been the exact same player. Yeah, so, I mean, that's still a good player, and he's he's cheap, but I think the, the key point here to what Adam said is whether Kyle Lowry's in or not, it shouldn't really have that much impact on Bam Adebayo. And there's still a mass amount of variance of Adebayo uh, with, with Adebayo. I don't think the, the Lowry inclusion has that much of an impact on him. One other thing with Victor Oladipo that could be important to the Miami Heat, at least, uh, they have sucked when he's been on the court in the playoffs. So they're plus minus over the last handful of games. Uh, negative with, with Oladipo on the court, negative 15, negative six, negative 14. Game against the Sixers where they won by blowout. He was plus 11 in that game. But the games were that minus 12, minus 11. This team regularly gets their ass kicked when Victor Oladipo is on the court. And I, I'm sure that Eric Spolcher is aware of that. And I'm sure that's the reason why Victor Oladipo primarily only played in garbage time last game. So especially if Lowry's back, I just don't think there's that much playing time to go to Oladipo unless this game is another blowout, which, I mean, there is a possibility of that. The Celtics are favored by six and a half points. I personally don't think that is a wide enough spread, uh, but I'm also notoriously very high on the Boston Celtics this year. Uh, but I think a blowout is live here. Uh, that aside, who yeah, else from the Heat is somebody that you view as as somewhat of a priority play? And also with the Old Depot thing, uh, right on right on cue. Vic working his way back, Greg. No, he's been back. The, the Heat do not play him because he cannot be on the floor with Jimmy Butler and provide any spacing. You put Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and Victor Oladipo on the floor, and good luck scoring. Um, like that—that that is why Oladipo doesn't play. He's been back for for a while. When uh, Miami was shorthanded in the regular season, Oladipo came out and played like 30-something minutes. He's fine health-wise. Uh, he played 26 minutes yesterday. They ran him through garbage time. Like They're not worried about his health. He's not a good fit on this team with Jimmy Butler. That's why he doesn't play outside of garbage time or absolute necessities. Um, as far – no, he's not learning his role. He can't – he's not a three-point – he can't shoot. Like, I, I mean, also, I, I got, also – be patient with what so people are convinced that Victor Oladipo is still the dude who made the all-star game, what was it, five or six years ago at this point. And while I would love for Victor Oladipo to be that guy again, I like Victor Oladipo. He seems likable. When you see the interviews with him, he seems devastated by the injuries that he's had in the past. I feel bad for players that are unable to stay healthy when they're in what should be the prime years of their career. But here's the reality with Oladipo. He played in eight games this season. He played in 24 games last year. The game before that, he played in uh, nine games. He's, he's, and the game before that, the year before that, he played 19 games. The year before that, he played 36 games. It has been a struggle for Victor Oladipo to stay on the court and stay healthy. And he's just not the same player he used to be. He's not the same athlete. He's never been a good three-point shooter. And yeah, sure, with, with Miami this year, he shot 42% from three in whatever was uh, 150 minutes. But overall, for his career, is a well below average three-point shooter. And this is a team, you can only play so many poor three-point shooters with Jimmy Butler. If you surround him with guys who can't shoot, there's no floor spacing. And then Jimmy Butler can't do the things that Jimmy Butler does. So Oladipo isn't a great fit for this team. I like Oladipo. People are going to think this means I hate him. That's not it at all. He's just not great right now. And he's not part of the, he's not part of the heat rotation in a major way. Yeah, no, I mean, he's from PG County. I love the guy. But 
not a good fit on this team. And as a result, it's difficult for him to find minutes in competitive games because you lose your spacing when you play Butler and Oladipo. Uh, that's why he wasn't in the rotation down the stretch um, of the regular season. He finally cracked the rotation here. But in competitive games, you should really only be expecting mid-teens, maybe 20 minutes from Oladipo um, because it's he can't shoot threes, Butler can't shoot threes, Bam can't shoot threes. It becomes really difficult to score when all of those guys are playing. Yeah, I mean, and Jimmy Butler even said himself prior to last game, he said his biggest regret from game one was they went 0 for 2 from 3. He said going forward, he would like to be 0 for 0 from 3 because that's not something he does. He's well aware. He's not a three-point shooter. Stephen A. Smith called him a three-point shooter the other day. That aside, not, not somebody who typically shoots threes. Uh, if we're looking for value from the Miami Heat, is there anybody you view as a viable punt option? I mean, Caleb Martin's still 1K, Dwayne Dedman's still 1,800. Neither of those are very exciting. I would like to not get to too much of them. Um, Dedman's pulling 20% ownership. Martin's pulling about six. Martin played, you know, like five, six minutes in the first half, uh, then played the fourth quarter. He's another guy that, like, it wouldn't be surprising at all if you see the Damian Lee rotation from yesterday or the Frightening Lakina rotation where um, – you know, basically plays in the first half, doesn't play at all in the second half. Uh, so definitely not something I want to get to, but they are cheap. And, and if you need to pay down, I think you can use them. Um, Duncan Robinson is not even listed in ownership projections. I don't expect him to be in the rotation, but he's also uh, actually he's up to 2200. So never mind. I don't I'm not even interested in that one. Uh, and just to, just for a discussion point, cause we've, you know, we've got all the time we want to talk about all the players here. Duncan Robinson has not been a part of the rotation, but he did play well in garbage time last game. He hit a bunch of shots. And do you think that has any impact on him potentially joining the rotation? It seems like, Hey, we're down. We need to make up points or if they're looking for some sort of reason to mix up the rotation. So by the way, playing time last game, Duncan Robinson played 14 minutes. It was the last 14 minutes of the game. He only played garbage time when the, when the game was already decided, but the fact that he's capable of knocking down some shots and scored over 20 fantasy points in his limited minutes last game. Do you think that's any reason he might look to mix it up and just get him into the rotation? So here's my issue with that. If Eric Spolstra needed Duncan Robinson to make some threes in garbage time for him to know Duncan Robinson can space the floor and make threes, then Eric Spolstra should probably like put in a, be put in like assisted living or something because like obviously he knows who Duncan Robinson is. Um, there's nothing that Duncan Robinson can do to like reinforce that's who he is. Um, I, I think that to your point, there's certainly a chance he ends up in the rotation. Like they just say, look, this isn't working. We're going to give Oladipo's minutes to Robinson to space the floor. Like that's not a crazy outcome or he's going to play over Caleb Martin. That's not a crazy outcome. Um, those paths are there, but I don't think there's any takeaway from last game because like Eric Spolstra knows what Duncan Robinson is and has been choosing not to play him. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I'm on the same page as you. I'm just bringing it up as a potential talking point to see, to see if there's any interest there, making sure no stone is left unturned. Uh, any other talking points from you for the Heat? If not, we can move over to the Celtics side. Uh, no, somebody brought up Duncan Robinson's contract in chat, which just which just always <laughs> makes me laugh and brings me back to uh, the, the like the big debate was Duncan Robinson versus Davis Bertans, like who should get paid more, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that just went horribly for everybody involved <laughs> except yeah. for them. Yeah, they they made out like bandits. Oh, they're yeah. they're rich and yeah. not playing basketball anymore. They're rich and they don't have to work anymore. 
they they sit on the bench and don't do anything unless games are generally blowouts. Berton's has actually been a bigger part of the Mavs rotation than Duncan Robinson currently is for the Heat. I'm but. actually surprised Berton's hasn't been a bigger part of the Mavs rotation than he already has. Well, his biggest moment of the playoffs was that dumb double technical foul last night. Were you watching the game when that happened? Uh, I wasn't watching when it happened. I saw the replay. Yeah, which I don't know what the point of a double tech on that play is. We got Damian Lee is trying to walk over him while he's sitting, but not like in a malicious way. Berton just gets up at the same point in time. They both fall and the refs like double technicals for no reason. It's nothing to do with the play. There was no vitriol. There was nothing going on there. It was a dumb play, but well, that aside, Davis Berton's Duncan Robinson. Good job. Keep cashing those checks, make your money. I've, I've, I've nothing bad to say about them. That's the ideal thing. If I was in their situation, I would do the same thing. Take all the money you can. Don't work, hang out, have fun. Yeah. And, and as a Washington really fan, I still am more bitter about Dinwiddie than I am Burton. <laughs> and they get great seats to basketball games every day. <laughs> it's a good deal. You know what else is a good deal? If you guys sign up at Underdog Fantasy for the first time using the promo code Osmo, because they will double your first deposit up to $100. Once again, that is using the promo code Osmo. They will double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up at Underdog for the first time. And they have some really cool, different, interesting ways to play DFS. Uh, I actually started to do some of these for the playoffs. In the past, I've only done best ball over at Underdog, but they do have single game contests where you do snake drafts, draft players, and it's fun. The drafts themselves are really fun to do. And in itself, it's a fun, unique way to play DFS. All right, let's move on over to the Celtics side of the game. Also, do us a favor, guys. Like the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, So when it comes to Boston, this is the first time in the series that we are going to see this team with a full lineup. Al Horford, he is back after he was in the COVID protocols. Marcus Smart missed game one. Game two, Derek White was out. It was uh, for a personal reason. He was away from the team because of the birth of his child, which by the Celtics fans were really upset about. Like, how could you plan a child around the playoffs? He was on the Spurs. He didn't think he was going to be in the playoffs. It's not. This wasn't anything done uh, to to you know, attack the Celtics or anything like that. He wasn't on the team. He didn't even think he was going to be in the playoffs. That aside. I mean, I, I get their issues. My, my friend missed our trip to Vegas because his wife was due. Um, and he knew well ahead of time when we were going to Vegas. So the fact that she was due around that time was just simply inexcusable and poor planning. I, I agree. Part, so. And by the way, that's her fault. Selfish on her. She couldn't right, have, right. she couldn't hold the baby in a little bit longer. Well, then she did. She held him in for two more weeks. Like, so there was literally no reason that uh, was going selfish that's just selfish right there you have to consider these things when you're having children think about how it impacts other people don't don't do this to your friends everybody in chat if you're watching plan your children accordingly but now as for today we've seen Peyton Pritchard's been fairly popular in some of these and for good reason because the point guard situation has been uh, limited for the Boston Celtics but now with Marcus Smart Al Horford Derek White all back in the mix how does this change the outlook for somebody like Pritchard I'm really interested to see what the rotation looks like here between Derek White and Peyton Pritchard because you and I both really liked the fit for Derek White when Boston picked him up, but he has not been very good. Uh, He's been basically a non-factor offensively, but he also was not playing well defensively uh, in the first game of the series either. And Pritchard's played really well. So I'm interested to see, you know, because normally I would just assume that Pritchard's playing time goes back to like, being close to non-existent and White's playing mid to upper 20s. But based on you know what we've seen from Pritchard so far and also what we've seen from White, I'm not quite as confident in that. I do think at a 5K price tag for Pritchard and a 6K price tag for White, I'm probably just not playing much of either one. Um, 
they're not getting ownership, you know, 9% going to white, 8% going to Pritchard. So outside of just, you know, like random dart throws here or there, I don't anticipate getting to either one, but I am just kind of from a moving forward standpoint, really interested to see how this rotation looks, uh, you know, does white hold on to his spot firmly ahead of Pritchard or does it turn into a, a more even split between the two? Yeah, I tend to think it's going to be Derek White. Just I think Derek White is better than Peyton Pritchard. The other thing, too, is when we've seen Pritchard get extended minutes on the court, Jimmy Butler destroys him. Jimmy Butler constantly hunts Peyton Pritchard on switches and will just only attack Peyton Pritchard. I think this is what we saw in game one, the fourth quarter. I don't know the exact numbers, but I would want to say nearly every single point Jimmy Butler scored in that quarter was on Peyton Pritchard. He would get a switch onto Pritchard. He would isolate. He would back him down, hit a turnaround jumper. And Pritchard was just too small. There was right. nothing you could do about that scenario. So I tend to think that the Celtics will just prioritize getting Derek White out there as a better defender. It'll, it'll just kind of depend on, uh, I guess, the game flow. If the Celtics are down in the game, which I personally don't expect to happen, maybe they get Pritchard out there for more offense. But or else I think it'll probably be Derek White as the backup point guard just because he's the far superior defender. And they could generate offense from guys like uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They don't necessarily need the offense from Peyton Pritchard. Uh, but assuming that Derek White does play the, his normal primary backup role, does that make him an interesting value option? Not really. Uh, I mean, I, I would still be expecting like 24 minutes at 6K from a guy that isn't going to be very involved offensively. It would still be pretty difficult to get there. Um, unless, I mean, like I don't think there's any – there, there's obviously a chance, but I don't think there's a particularly high chance that Derek White is in the closing lineup to you. No, almost, oh, it, barring foul trouble, no chance. Right. Like I, I would say it's five of the six of Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford, Williams, Williams. Yeah, I think we see it the same way. By the way, shout out to the news god, El Negro Loco. He did give some uh, awesome memberships out to some people. New feature that they have over on YouTube where you could give memberships to people and seen people like El Negro Loco, News God, he's been giving out. Jordan Lockhart, every live before lock, he's gifting like 50 memberships out to people. So he's been on fire giving those out. We appreciate that very much. But also all the more reason to subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch, watch all our programs because you never know when some of the, the memberships might be gifted out by people now. Uh, but let's talk about the rest of the guys on the Boston Celtics now. And if we're paying up for somebody, I said it before, Jason Tatum is my number one preferred option slightly ahead of Jimmy Butler. I also think he's a really high priority in the captain spot. Uh, do you have any pushback against Jason Tatum? No, I think he's very similar to Butler, uh, slightly more expensive, slightly lower owned than captain, slightly higher owned overall. 30.7% usage rate in the postseason, 1.2 DraftKings points per minute, 25% assist percentage. I'm going to play like 42 minutes or something. So uh, yeah, no, no pushback at all. I think Tatum and Butler are clearly the top two guys here. Yeah. I, I don't even see an argument for anybody else uh, as much as I would like to troll people and say, well, Bam Adebayo too, because he was good in the right. I can't, I can't say that about, <laughs> about Bam Adebayo right now. Uh, in terms of secondary options, uh, we've got Jalen Brown is kind of in a price range of his own on both DraftKings and FanDuel. So on DK, he's 9,400. We've got Jimmy Butler at $1,400 more expensive. Bam Adebayo, $1,400 less expensive. Over on FanDuel, he is at 14,000. The next closest player is Marcus Smart at 13,000. And then on a high end, Jason Tatum at 15,000. So considering Jalen Brown is in this price tier of his own, he kind of becomes an unavoidable piece. And he's, I mean, he projects fairly well. He's a good play anyway. But if you have the remaining salary to get to Jalen Brown, you just kind of play Jalen Brown. There, there isn't a way to get away from him, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I will point out there is that as far as trying to get either unique lineups or at least relatively close to unique lineups. That is one spot I think you can target where like you build a lineup and you have 
you know, between 9,400 and $10,800 left. So Jalen Brown's like, you know, the, the only, or Jalen Brown's the obvious answer. If you do something like play Marcus Smart instead of Brown or Horford instead of Brown or Bam instead of Brown and leave a bunch of money on the table that way, it's clearly not optimal, but those are guys that at least are capable of outscoring Jalen Brown in any one game. It's not the same as, you know, being forced in the situation where it's like, oh, well, I'm going to save money by playing Peyton Pritchard over Jalen Brown. You know, like, good luck ever winning that one. But uh, with those other guys, you know, at least you are for sure lowering the number of times that lineup's going to get duped and you're sacrificing projection, but not by a wide margin. So I think that is one thing to keep in mind here, just because it is basically a, a salary desert. Like it's just Jalen Brown by himself. Uh, you're going to just get naturally Jalen Brown in a ton of lineups where you can just save $2,000, you know, play a $48,000 lineup instead of 50 K and sacrifice, you know, a few projected points, but save a lot of dupes. Yeah. And um, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. And I, once again, I think the upside is there for Bam Adebayo. Confidence level is low, but in terms of a pivot to leave salary on the table to get to him, it is something that I'm willing to do in some lineups. Uh, working our way down with the rest of the Boston guys, and let's talk about the front court situation because between Al Horford and Robert Williams, Williams' minutes, his health, it's been tough to predict over the course of this postseason. Last game, he only ended up playing 20 minutes. But I think a lot of that was just because it was unnecessary. The Celtics know some of the injury risk involved with Robert Williams. And I do think going forward, we should see a couple of Al Horford's minutes probably get reduced in favor of those going to Robert Williams. Do you have any concerns with Williams only playing 20 minutes last game? A little bit because at times he kind of looked lost uh, defensively. Um, but I, I still think, I mean, part of that I attribute to the, the blowout. Like he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. Uh, in the first half, he played a total of about 24, 25 minutes. I'll probably project him for around 26. Um, you know, wouldn't shock me if he played 20, wouldn't shock me if he played 30. So I think coming in that like 24 to 26 range makes sense. I, I am a little bit concerned by that playing time though. Yeah, it's, I mean, here's what kind of makes me feel better about it is he looked really good in game one of the series, even though the Celtics lost that game. I thought Robert Williams is one of the lone bright spots. Actually, I thought he was the best player on Boston in game one. He finished with 18 points and nine rebounds. He played 28 minutes. He did leave with leg cramps towards the end, but also Boston was down. I think they were looking to get more perimeter shooting on the court. The fact that he played 28 minutes in game one kind of makes me think we could see that again. I think the main reason he only played 20 last game is it just wasn't necessary for him to play more. It was so one-sided. Why risk one of your best defensive players? But I could see there being reason for concern as well because he, he did have to leave game one with some leg cramps. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. And also, I mean, it's just that... Boston's closing lineup is so fluid, like depending on what they like matchup wise or how the game is going or, or any of that, there's just a relatively high percentage of the time that you're going to get a closing lineup where it's smart Brown Tatum Grant Williams and Horford. So that just cuts into your medium projection for Robert Williams like yeah he certainly can play 30 to 32 minutes, but I think he also plays like 22 minutes enough that projecting like 24 to 26 makes sense to me. Yeah, and once again. A lot of upside in Robert Williams, but a lot of downside too. There is a lot of variables with that playing time. It's a sliding scale. Uh, but when it comes to Al Horford, I do think that the Bucks series was a much better matchup for Horford individually. I've talked about uh, this on other shows in terms of how often the Bucks are willing to leave ancillary pieces open from three to try to shut down other teams' primary options. 
So as a result, we just saw so many open looks from three from Al Horford that we're just typically never going to see. He had games against Milwaukee with four. He had multiple games with four threes. He had one game where he had five threes. I just don't think that's something we're going to see as a likelihood in this series. But uh, last game, 33 minutes, 22 fantasy points coming back from uh, coming back from his time on the COVID list. I think Al Horford's a little bit overpriced when we're factoring in just what his role and his production was in the regular season. Uh, how are you viewing Al Horford? Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, like you said, benefited from open threes in that last series. The thing that was really difficult for me, and, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was just knocking down open threes, like Horford was having those massive games against Milwaukee. But if you looked at his rates, his usage rate wasn't up. His rebounding rate was up a little bit, but um, he was also at times playing without Robert Williams. He wasn't like getting more opportunities. He was just shooting really, really well and playing a ton of minutes, which all of that is fine. But it, it doesn't make me like view him as somebody whose price tag should really be rising. Overall this year, 2,438 minutes played, 0.99 DraftKings points per minute, 1.01 FanDuel points per minute. Point per minute guy, likely to give you 36-ish minutes here. Um, you know, probably like 34 to 36. Makes him look fine at 7,800. I don't really feel strongly one way or the other. Um, he is getting a lot of ownership at 46%. But at the same time, the one thing that stands out to me is that Marcus Smart, $200 less expensive, is getting 66% ownership. Um, I think those two are similar enough where that ownership should probably kind of be like coming out in the middle where they're both like 55 or something like that. Um, so just comparing him to that, you know, one guy at his price range, I do think there's probably an advantage. Like if you have to pick one and just going to the lower owned one, um, especially if you have a lineup that is otherwise popular, but at the same time, Horford overall is projected to be the fifth highest owned player on the slate. So I also don't hate the idea of just like to be different, getting away from that price range in general, the problem is just that I don't really know where you go because the guys that are less expensive, I think are even more overpriced. Yeah. And I think that that ownership also, the gap could maybe end up being even wider just because once it, this is going to be a recency bias situation, Marcus Smart destroyed last game. He played 40 minutes, had 24 points, 12 assists, nine rebounds, scored 64.75 DK points. He was the top scorer on FanDuel as well. I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are just like, this is what Marcus Smart does now. I'm going to play Marcus Smart. And then you know what's going to happen? He's probably not going to be the highest scorer tonight. And then people aren't going to want to play Marcus Smart as much in, in uh, game four of the series. But I think Marcus Smart is a good option today. If you happen to play cash games on one game slates, I would certainly play him. Uh, in tournaments, I think I'm probably going to come an underweight to the field on him. Not because I don't think he is a bad play per se, but just because I think he's going to be overowned. Yeah, exactly. Um. Go, you know, the entire season, he's averaged 0.91 DraftKings points per minute. Uh, obviously, he's coming off of an absolutely ridiculous game last time out. But, you know, he had a 25.5% usage rate in that game. He had a 41% assist percentage. I do think that he continues to play a big role as a playmaker. Um, I think, you know, getting the ball in his hands, letting him make plays, set up guys like Jason Tatum is good for Boston. And it's going to help alleviate what we saw in the third quarter of game one, where uh, Miami started making life really difficult on Jason Tatum. But there's no reason to think that suddenly Marcus Smart's a 25% usage, 40% assist guy, just because we saw it in game one of this series. Like we do know what Marcus Smart is. We know what that baseline is. Even if you think that his rates do trend up a bit in the postseason or in this series in particular, they don't trend up that much. Yeah. And once again, it's been a good postseason for me. He's had some good individual games. Just don't expect a repeat performance of last game when I think a lot of the field will be rostering as if that is what they expect. If you guys want access to all of the great Osmo Plus tools and content for nearly every single DFS sport out there, 
you can get an Osmo Plus weekly pass and get a discount on it. If you are signing up for the first time, use the promo code NBA Strategy Show. That's all caps, all one word, NBA Strategy Show. And that'll get you 50% off your first month of Osmo Plus. Get access to all the tools that we use to help build our lineups, in particular, the ownership projections, which if I'm playing single game slates, which I'm going to be tonight and what we all have to play going forward because there's no other real options right now, it's really hard to do that successfully without ownership projections. This is where ownership becomes even more important for a sport like NBA because one game slate, more variance than usual, important to kind of try to manipulate some of those ownership projections. So stop guessing, start winning, join Awesome O Plus today. Uh, let's round out the rest of the Boston rotation now. And the next guy who I see some people in chaperoning up is Grant Williams, who also has individually had some really good playoff games. But I get concerned about him now that the Boston Celtics are going to have everybody healthy. I think his minutes are here to stay, but he's simply not a very good fantasy producer. Over the course of the entire season, he averaged 25 minutes per game and 17 fantasy points. That's more or less what I expect from him today. He's just not a very good points minute fantasy producer. I think his minutes are somewhat capped with everybody back. Doesn't mean he's going to play 20, but I don't think we're going to see 36-minute games out of Grant Williams. And if people are actually going to roster him today, uh, that's not somebody I have a whole lot of interest in. Where do you stand with Grant Williams? Yeah, it's kind of tough because I agree with you. Like, I, I agree. Like, he's a .68 DraftKings points per minute guy going back to the start of the regular season. I think he's likely to play around 30 minutes here. So that makes him overpriced at 5,600. But find me somebody who, you know, find me guys that aren't overpriced here. Like, dra the, the pricing has just been pretty tight on DraftKings. Um, and like, let, let's say Lowry is in. So you're losing that Gabe Vincent value at 4,400. I don't really have alternatives that I feel good about going to either. So the 24% ownership projected to come into Grant Williams makes sense to me just from a rounding out your lineups standpoint. Um, but at the same time, if, if, if Grant Will like Grant Williams is somebody where I wouldn't have an issue saying like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to play Oladipo at two thirds of the ownership. I think on average, Oladipo plays 16 minutes, but if this game blows out, he plays more. Maybe he just happens to play well and get a few more minutes. Like all of those things are possible. Um, so it's a spot where like, I don't mind just kind of trying to take on volatility to get away from a higher own Grant Williams. But I do just think he ends up playing a useful role in roster construction because when you look at the guys that are cheaper than him or even priced around him, there's just not a lot that I point to and say like, oh yeah, this is clearly better. Like if, if we assume Lowry is in, you know, Lowry's 600 more, um, he's getting less ownership. I don't mind going there, but also wild question marks on Kyle Lowry, obviously. Um, if he's in, Gabe Vincent at 4,400, yeah, he's going to open up a little bit more stuff, but how many minutes is Gabe Vincent even playing? Uh, Oladipo, we've already, you know, talked about at length. Max Struess is $1,000 more expensive than Grant Williams. Uh, that's got issues of its own. You know, I, I would like PJ Tucker, who's less expensive, but he's also coming back from an injury. So like, there's not any clear cut guy, especially if Lowry is in, that is cheaper or even priced around Grant Williams that I don't have massive concerns about. Yeah, and there's not even other guys to talk about on the Celtics because I think they're going to play an eight-man rotation. Uh, and Peyton Pritchard's probably going to play a nominal role. But, I mean, Tatum, Brown, Horford, Smart, Williams, they'll get their minutes. Then off the bench, you get some minutes going to Derek White, some to Grant Williams. Peyton Pritchard probably plays two smaller rotations and nobody else is in the lineup. So unless I'm missing something, I don't think there's a punt play to look at here. Do you? Um, no, not from Boston. I mean, I don't even, even Daniel Tice is 3,600. Like yeah. Naismith's up to 3K. I, I have no idea who you would possibly go to here if you were looking to punt. 
Yeah. By the way, we're I mean, getting so people in played... the chat. Uh, I, I was going to say, I think people in the chat are getting me mixed up with Wafi here. They're, they're, they're talking about the conspiracy theories, I believe, and, and about the, the moon landing and whatnot. I, we landed on the moon. Lofi is the one who pushes to say that we didn't land on the moon and all, the other, all his other conspiracy theories. The Earth yeah, is I round. Was, I was going to say, uh, I didn't realize that you were leading the way here on the we didn't land on the moon theory. No, nah, I don't believe birds are real, but I mean, that's a totally different thing. You don't believe what? Do, do you not know about the, the, the funniest conspiracy theory ever? I didn't even hear. I, I think I heard what you did. You say you don't believe birds are real? Yeah, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. People believe in birds are fake. The, they're fake. Yeah, birds, birds, are, birds are government drones used to spy on us. That seems plausible. Yeah, yeah but, but for some reason, they shit on my car still, though, which is... Got to keep it authentic. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite part about the bird conspiracy theories, that the government made these drones, but to make it more believable, they still shit on our cars all the time. That, that to me, that's a, step, that's a step too far. Step too far. Pigeons are fake from Lucas uh, Assis. Yeah. Maybe, whatever. That, that to me is the funniest conspiracy theory. I see that. It makes me laugh every time. We have a super chat from my filler arc. He's playing his lineups for a blowout today. Hopefully a Celtics blowout, but I guess it doesn't matter which team you're projecting a blowout for. He's saying, if you're building a lineup for a blowout, would you rather roster Oladipo or Martin? I mean, so it's, it's tough because they're two totally different price ranges. Um, Excluding price, certainly Oladipo, just because he's the better point per minute guy and those minutes are more valuable. Martin could make a case just because he's 1K flat. Like he played seven, he played almost 18 minutes last game because he played the final 12 minutes of the game. Um, obviously, that's a massive blowout. You know, if you're talking like the game ends, the game is over with five or six minutes to go, you're getting like 12 minutes from Martin probably. But that opens up a lot in your lineup on a slate where there's not a lot of value. So kind of depends what the other options are. I think both of those guys do benefit from garbage time for sure. Um, so, yeah, like if, if if you can make a good lineup and include Oladipo, I would say Oladipo. But, you know, also if you're able to just upgrade like two pieces and go to Caleb Martin, that also would work. Um, and, and kind of semi-related to that, somebody said, uh, I don't know, oh, uh, Bridgeline said, why would Duncan play no minutes if everyone thinks Miami's getting blown out? Uh, I think that is, you know, like a reasonable question. Um, so this game does only have a six-point spread. Like I don't project blowouts typically ever but like especially in a game with a six point spread i do think there's a good chance that boston covers here but it's not like i'm going to just go into this projecting the last game to to be a repeat but i do think that you should have some mechanism like you know i know if you're using our projections we just you know throw a couple of minutes to the end of the bench guys uh we have duncan robinson at six minutes here for me personally like i'll project more than 240 minutes so that i do give duncan robinson a few minutes or i give um some of these end of the bench guys a few minutes and then i'll just set rules saying you know don't have you know like for example i do it with josh green and Nilakina, and then i just don't play more than one i do it with kaminga and bielitsa and damian lee and then just don't play more than one um so like i'll do something like that i, I do think i guess we spent a lot of time saying, you know, like, this is why Duncan Robinson's a bad play. This is why Oladipo is a bad play. Blowouts do happen, and those guys do get there. So um, the fact that their ownership is low does still make it so you can use them in some lineups as contrarian plays, and then you're just hoping the game, you know, works out in your favor. Um, but I would caution against just like, unless you're talking about one individual lineup where you want to do it, I would caution against just like going into the saying like, oh, yeah, this game's going to be a blowout. Because even though I personally do think Boston covers – I am not a good sports better. I'm sure as hell not as sharp as the lines. And 
you should be using the lines and not what I personally think is going to happen in a game. And that is going to do it for us. We've reached the end of our show. We've got the MLB strategy show coming up next. Like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've also got NBA Live Before Lock in the day, MLB Live Before Lock, MMA Live Before Lock. So lots of other content, lots of reason to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell when all our shows go live. Other than that, hope to see you guys later and good luck tonight.